Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the second hour of The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We are continuing with the 2020 lead. Today, the United States nearing 220,000 deaths from coronavirus, the highest number in the world. And the number of new daily cases of the virus is on the rise once again in the U.S. Yet, President Trump today has been trashing the nation's top infectious disease expert on Twitter to reporters. And on a campaign call, the president called Dr. Anthony Fauci a, quote, disaster. And he wildly, falsely claimed that the nation would have more than double the number of deaths if he had listened to Fauci's advice. It's not true, and it's a stunning, yet sadly not surprising attack, given the president's clear disregard for the science on controlling this pandemic and his own reckless attitude toward the virus, as can be seen in the rallies he's holding all over the country. He holds two more big rallies again today in Arizona. Let's bring in CNN's Caitlin Collins. Caitlin, it'd be great if the president attacked the virus with the same energy he's attacking Dr. Fauci. Yeah, two weeks to go, Jake, and the president's main message to voters today, at least, is attacking Dr. Anthony Fauci. He just went after him for the fourth time today. And let's remind viewers, the president is currently on mountain time because he's in Arizona, but he's already gone after Dr. Fauci four times today, starting with that call this morning, but just again a few moments ago at this rally in Arizona, criticizing the nation's top infectious disease expert and criticizing Joe Biden by saying he'll listen to Dr. Fauci. That's a criticism against Joe Biden in the president's eyes. And he's going after him, of course. It started with that un prompted comment from him this morning on a call that was meant to rally campaign staff in the last few days before the election. With 15 days to go until the election, President Trump is attacking Dr. Anthony Fauci and dismissing the pandemic as infections are rising in multiple states. People are saying whatever, just leave us alone. They're tired of it. People are tired of hearing Fauci and all these idiots, these people. These people that have gotten it wrong, Fauci's a nice guy. He's been here for 500 years. In a call meant to rally his campaign staff, the president went after the nation's top infectious disease expert, calling Dr. Fauci a disaster. Fauci's a disaster. If I listened to him, we'd have 500,000 deaths. We'd have 700, 800,000 deaths right now. If there's a reporter on... You can have it just the way I said it. I couldn't get less. Reporters were on the call, and the president's onslaught against Fauci came one day after Fauci appeared on 60 Minutes, where he disputed Trump's coronavirus claims. He sometimes equates wearing a mask with weakness. Does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't, of course not. Fauci told CBS News he thinks deep down Trump believes in science, though this weekend the president mocked Joe Biden for listening to scientists. He's going to lock down. This guy wants to lock down. He'll listen to the scientists. 
If I listened totally to the scientists, we would right now have a country that would be in a massive depression instead of we're like a rocket ship. While Trump was attacking him today, Dr. Fauci was accepting a leadership award from the National Academy of Medicine, where he said this. We have a lot of challenges ahead of us, and I can't help thinking that we're really, you know, going through a time that's disturbingly anti-science in certain segments of our society. Tension between Trump and Fauci has been building for months, but Fauci isn't alone. The Washington Post reports that Dr. Deborah Burks is also frustrated because the newest member of the coronavirus task force, Dr. Scott Atlas, has consolidated power by backing the president's unscientific views. Atlas was rebuked by Twitter this weekend after he posted masks don't work, which the social media site labeled misinformation. Trump is ignoring his own administration's guidelines and holding two large rallies outdoors in Arizona today after offering an upbeat assessment to his campaign staff about the state of the race. Today is the best single day I've ever felt on either campaign. We're going to win. I wouldn't have said that three weeks ago, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. I don't know. I wouldn't have said it. Now, Jake, the president's attacks on Dr. Fauci have caused another Republican to try to distance themselves from the president today. That's Lamar Alexander, Alexander, the senator from Tennessee, who was tweeting about Dr. Fauci, praising him as a distinguished public servant and noting that he has served under presidents from both parties. And Lamar Alexander said in this tweet that if more people listened to Dr. Fauci, there would be fewer cases of COVID-19 in the country. Of course, uh, we do not expect the president to stop these attacks on Dr. Fauci, even as his campaign is currently airing ads using Dr. Fauci in an attempt to appeal to voters, Jake. Yeah, Lamar Alexander not even mentioning, however, why he's tweeting that, not mentioning Trump, not mentioning Trump's attacks on Dr. Fauci, what passes for courage in today's GOP, I suppose. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. I want to bring in CNN chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, today President Trump called Dr. Anthony Fauci a disaster, which he obviously is not. He said people are tired of hearing from Fauci and, quote, all these idiots... Yesterday, Health Secretary Azar suggested there's, quote, mitigation fatigue. People are getting tired of giving so much. Uh, Trump's language is obviously harsh, inappropriate, politically ridiculous. But what message are you hearing from the administration? I mean, the idea that Azar is talking about fatigue when it comes to dealing with this virus, uh, is that helpful? No, I mean, it's, it's not at all helpful. Uh, obviously, there's a complete loss of civility here. We've been talking for months about the bright line that's been drawn between science and, and, and politics, you know, that people keep entangling them. But, uh, you know, there's science and anti-science clearly now in this country, more than I've ever seen in 20 years of doing this job. I mean, in terms of giving what people have had to give up, you know, this idea that the virus spread to the point that it did in this country because simple things weren't done initially and we've been being, been playing catch up for so long. I mean, that's that's the real issue here. Uh, what are the things that people need to do in order to bring this curve downward? I mean, Fauci, others keep saying you don't need to shut things down again. It's five things. It's it's masks, it's social distancing, it's avoiding bars and large crowds and it's washing your hands. I mean, is that is that too much to ask, you know, in terms of people have to give so much in order to to start returning things to some sense of normalcy? That's not going to do it right away, Jake. And we hope that there's the vaccine and there's some promising therapeutics, you know. But but the idea that basic public health behaviors without shutting things down, the same people who say we can't shut things down aren't willing to do the basic things to prevent that from happening. That, that yeah. that's the problem here. And, and you know, it's, it's infuriating. 
And it's, it's so odd because we ask, we're asking a lot of, of some people. We're asking a lot of our frontline healthcare workers. We're asking a lot of our first responders. Yeah. We're asking a lot of our children who have to do remote education. We're not actually asking all that much from adults, although I've never heard so much whining in my life. I, I, I know it's, 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 it's really tough. And I, and I realize, fully realize, as you're saying, that there are people who they don't have the luxury of being able to work from right. home and do Zoom calls and stuff like that. They, but we did not need to be in this position. I've tried very hard in your program over the last several months to not look in the rearview mirror because I just find as a doctor that's not really helpful. We've got to fix the, the problem at hand. But, you know, we, you can't whine. It's, it's like a patient who says, I refuse to do the treatment and then gets upset several months later when the disease has progressed. What's the doctor to do at this point? Well, you probably need more aggressive treatment, okay? Well, I'm not going to do that either, and I'm, and I'm upset at you for even suggesting it. What, what, what am I to do at this right. point? As a, if, if the country were a patient, what is the doctor to do at that point? That's, that's the situation that we're in. And comparatively, I mean, we're just in a worse place than any other Western or wealthy nation. Today, you spoke to Dr. Fauci. You asked him about vaccines. You asked him who should be taking a vaccine uh, when and if they're shown to be safe and effective. What did Fauci have to say? Well, you know, th this question really came about because this idea that there's going to be more than one vaccine, right? And which ones come out first? Uh, will the second, gen third generation be better? That's what I really wanted to get at with him. I asked him, look, is this going to be like iPhones? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for the iPhone 12 and not get the iPhone 11. Here's how he answered. You'll see a hierarchy of recommendations of who should get the vaccine. And I think you have to factor into that how effective it is and what risk category you as an individual are in. So, you know, I mean, basically, Jake, no, no surprise there. If you are considered uh, high risk, uh, healthcare workers, uh, people who are elderly, people who have a particular pre-existing condition are going to be first in line. They probably shouldn't wait. As time goes on, and we'll keep an eye on this, obviously, uh, through the beginning of next year into the summer, there will likely be other vaccine candidates that come out. And some may be better for different reasons. I'll give you a quick example. Some vaccines may be very, very good at preventing disease, preventing illness, uh, I should say, in people who are predisposed to that. But for children, the, the goal is to prevent disease, obviously, but to also really make it so they have lower virus counts in their nose and their mouth so they don't spread as much. So right. be, you know, there may be different options for different people depending on the situation. Dr. Scott Atlas uh, is a neuroradiologist. He is not an expert on infectious diseases, but President Trump saw him on Fox spewing his nonsense that the president likes, and so he's now on the coronavirus task force, alienating all the other actual doctors on the force, uh, doctors who are uh, experts on infectious disease. I can't think of anything more uh, emblematic of this era that Twitter had to remove a tweet from Dr. Atlas uh, because it was false. It was against masks. Look, I, it, right, it was, it was false. He wrote masks, question mark, no. Um, uh, unbelievable. Uh, the guy who has the presidency around coronavirus, one of the most basic public health measures we can and should take, data shows that it could save tens of thousands of lives, and he's saying masks, no. So he's not helpful. He's harmful at this point. And I can tell you this as well, Jake. Uh, members of the task force called me uh, over the weekend. Um, they don't, they don't want to be named because everything's a fight nowadays. But, you know, you probably saw some of the response tweets to Dr. Atlas's tweets, even from the members of the task force. Masks, 
Yes. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's ludicrous. Uh, no wonder the country has whiplash on this sort of thing. But I think we can definitively say, Dr. Atlas may be a smart guy. We should not be listening to him at this point. It is harmful. It is dangerous at this point. He's going to be upset that I've said this, but how can he possibly, the, the science around masks decreasing transmission uh, at this point is very clear. When you wear a mask, you decrease transmission roughly sixfold. That's according to literature that came out in April. In the beginning, it wasn't clear that asymptomatic people would spread this as much. Once that became clear, masks became a necessity. There we were at 69% roughly, and that's self-reporting. I mean, the numbers may be lower than that. But look at that, Jake, 74,000 deaths if we increase mask wearing to, to 95%. Everyone watching could be part of a movement that could save you know, 74,000 lives just by putting two ear loops on your ear. And you know, thir a third of the country is still saying, no thanks, I'll pass, yeah. ain't gonna do it. That, Dr. Atlas does not help this. Well, it's worse than that, right? I mean, the AMA should get involved. He is violating his Hippocratic oath. First, do no harm. He is doing harm. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Coming up next, breaking news, what Joe Biden just said about Dr. Anthony Fauci after the president's repeated bizarre attacks on Fauci today. Plus, why one expert says our darkest days of the pandemic are yet to come. Stay with us. Breaking news in our 2020 lead Democratic nominee Joe Biden is slamming President Trump's handling of the pandemic in the wake of President Trump's repeated attacks on Dr. Anthony Fauci today. Bizarre, out-of-control attacks. CNN's MJ Lee is live for us in Wilmington, Delaware. MJ, uh, what does Biden have to say in the statement? Well, Jake, everything, of course, this week is leading up to Thursday night's debate. And I will first tell you that Joe Biden is off the campaign trail today. He is here in Wilmington, Delaware, doing debate prep. So we'll see if they add any public events uh, heading into Thursday. Uh, but when you talk to the Biden campaign, the one thing they will consistently continue to say is that what they feel good about is the continued contrast that you see between the president and Biden and how they have talked about COVID-19. Uh, obviously, as you have been talking about uh, all day today, the president uh, going after for Anthony Fauci and continuing to say that the country is turning a corner when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic, a very different tone and message from what we have seen uh, from Joe Biden. And in fact, he just released a new statement and I just want to read a part of it. Uh, it says, Mr. President, you're right about one thing. The American people are tired. They're tired of your lies about this virus. They're tired of watching more Americans die and more people lose their jobs because you refuse to take this pandemic seriously. So again, uh, just home in on that contrast that the Biden campaign believes is critical heading into Thursday night. And I should just uh, note, even though this sounds obvious, one area where we also continue to see that contrast is in the campaign rallies that the president and Biden's campaign are holding. Obviously, the president continuing to hold these crowded, uh, not socially distanced events, whereas the Biden campaign is talking about the protocols and the precautions that they're taking at their own events. And one more important thing, of course, they are continuing to be forthcoming when it comes to the test results. Uh, for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on all of the COVID-19 tests that they have been taking recently, Jake. All right, MJ Lee, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Let's discuss uh, with uh, Jeff Zeleny and Abby Phillip. Um, so, Abby, I have to say, it's obviously stunning and indecent that President Trump continues to attack in personal terms and with smears and lies Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, the nation's top infectious disease expert, is there any strategy to it or is it just his sense of grievance and his unhinged nature as we get closer to Election Day? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you talk to Trump advisors, they would always they always come back to Trump being the counterpuncher. And in this case, uh, he's counterpunching against Dr. Fauci, just simply saying, leave me out of this political debate. The problem for the the president's campaign is that they are trying to use Fauci as a source of credibility in their campaign ads, while the president is also attacking him. That's the part where there seems to be really not much political strategy at all. And it just seems to be the president giving in to his instincts and his own grievances when it comes to uh, wanting to downplay uh, what Fau- how, how Fauci is respected, frankly, by the American public in general. And Jeff, uh, the Biden campaign is warning Democrats to not be complacent uh, that this race is closer than public polls suggest. Uh, And there is a real fear among Democrats. There could be a repeat of uh, 2016. They go into election night thinking they got it in the bag and who knows what's going to happen. It is not outside the realm of possibility that Trump could end up winning some of these key states where right now Biden is up, but it's it's within the margin of error. It absolutely is within the margin of error. And we should start every conversation and really every day for the next 15 days saying most presidents, most sitting presidents win re-election. So this is still the president's uh, re-election that he has, you know, the whole uh, controls of the federal government. And he is using many of them to his extent here. The cabinet secretaries are blanketed across the country. The Trump family is blanketed across the country. And you saw MJ there. uh, Joe Biden is preparing for the debate. So Democrats are campaigning in a very different way here. So we should point out that Democrats do believe they are in command of this race. But there was um, the campaign manager, Jennifer O'Malley-Dillon, sending out a message over the weekend, really warning Democrats to not be complacent. They need them to vote. They need them to go out and wait in lines. And there is still a worry about uh, litigation. There's a worry about, you know, people being uh, turned away at the polls. So uh, really what all this boils down to, Jake, is the ghost of Hillary Clinton still hangs over this race, particularly the end of this race here in the final couple weeks. So there, you know, Democrats do not want to take anything for granted. But you're right, in these battleground states, it is a margin of error race. That's why President Trump is talking like he's talking about uh, Dr. Dr. Fauci. He's trying to get out his base, ring every single person who may not have voted four years ago, who like him personally, to come out and vote. But what he's also doing, he's motivating the other side as well. Everything he says also motivates Democrats and certainly independents who are just quite frankly disgusted by all of this. Yeah, it's not tough to think about, a, a imagine a suburban Republican woman outside Pittsburgh hearing Trumping attacking Fauci and saying, Ugh, that's it. I'm, I'm with Biden. Um, Abby, President Trump on a campaign call today uh, trying to project confidence. Take a listen. As of today, this is the single best I have ever been in any campaign. We're going to win. I wouldn't have said that three weeks ago. We should know three weeks ago the president was infected with coronavirus and perhaps battling for his life. Uh, so I, I believe that three weeks ago he wouldn't have said it. He was probably more focused on trying to breathe. Um, but what do you make of that? Well, I, I, I don't think that that jives with what you know we're seeing publicly, but also even what his own campaign is seeing. I mean, three weeks ago, shortly before the president contracted coronavirus, they were going into uh, trying to push a Supreme Court justice. And that actually could have been something that would have been helpful to motivating the conservative base in some ways. Uh, It could have been something that could have 
potentially changed even the topic of this campaign, but it was overshadowed by a massive coronavirus outbreak within the White House. So the president is actually in a perhaps a more precarious position than he, now than he was then, uh, but he wants to project confidence to his uh, campaign because of a slew of stories that have indicated that inside the campaign there's a lot of finger pointing going on, there's a lot of backbiting happening, and a lot of questions about how they can uh, really use the little time that they have, 15 days, and the little money that they have uh, the most effectively to get as close as they can in some of these key states. But as Jeff pointed out, this is not in the bag for either candidate. There's a lot of time left, and a couple of key swing states could make a huge difference in terms of how close the president gets to that critical 270 votes. Yeah, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, all within the margin of error. Yeah, and Florida, obviously. Jeff, one advantage that Biden has going for him is he has a lot more money Uh, The Biden campaign is up with ads during five NFL games, all with this focus on the pandemic and the president's mishandling of it. Um, Biden's campaign clearly sees that as as perhaps the closing message. They absolutely do, Jake. They see it as the top issue on the minds of voters, and it's just getting worse. This is happening, I mean, as the, the, the coronavirus numbers are going up, really, in states across the country. So people are living this in their own lives. As they are seeing the president out there saying it's not a problem, uh, they are not seeing that. So that is what is so unusual about this campaign. I can't recall a closing message you know, that is so a dovetailing with something that's happening in real life here. So that's what the Biden campaign is doing. There's no question the money advantages that they have is something that never uh, anyone would have expected. So after all of this is over, regardless of who wins, there is going to be a lot of examination on how the Trump campaign spent all this money, you know, because they certainly had a big advantage at the beginning. But Democrats also warned, and General Malley warned in that memo, that uh, Republicans can write a check. Some big super PAC donors can write a check to, uh, you know, basically put all this on parity. So we don't know how the financial advantage is going to be two weeks from now. But right now, it's advantage Biden. Yeah. And look, the other side uh, from Biden, uh, the the Trump side, they're willing to clearly say or do anything to win uh, in terms of the allegations they're willing to make. Jeff Zeleny, uh, Abby Phillip, thanks so much. Uh, From the president to the pandemic, how an alarming number of new coronavirus cases may force an entire region of the United States to change its rules on who must quarantine. Stay with us. In our health lead, one of the most ominous warnings we have heard in this pandemic yet. The next six to 12 weeks, we're told, will be the darkest we have seen. Look at that map. 27 states trending upward with cases, with just 21 states holding steady. And as CNN's Nick Watt reports for us now, there are even more signs that this virus spread is not under control. Chicago is now averaging more than 500 new COVID cases every day, the most since late May. Make no mistake, we are in the second surge. These numbers are extremely troubling and are consistent with what we've been seeing across Illinois and really across the country and world. In 14 of our states right now, a test positivity rate so high, it tells us the spread is out of control. You cannot say that we're on the road to essentially getting out of this. Cruel irony, Connecticut and New Jersey, with cases climbing, now appear to qualify for the COVID travel restrictions they imposed on other heavily infected states. People are getting tired. The American people have given so much. We're seeing mitigation fatigue right now. And, you know, I just hope that we have so much promise in the weeks and months ahead. 
A vaccine? Well, a week after Johnson & Johnson paused its trial following an illness in a volunteer, the company and the FDA won't tell CNN if that volunteer was actually receiving the vaccine or even if this is the first pause. We do have vaccines and therapeutics coming down the pike, but when you actually look at uh, the time period for that, the next 6 to 12 weeks are going to be the darkest of the entire pandemic. This past month nationally, the average number of new cases a day exploded, up 40%. There's nothing to, to stop this, the way things are going. But there is a silver lining of sorts. The death rate per case has declined. And it's a tribute to modern medicine. We have tools in our arsenal now. But we still do not fully understand the long-term impacts of this virus on the millions who make it. Fatigue, difficulty concentrating, lung issues. The other thing that we're seeing that's a bit disturbing is that the degree of cardiovascular abnormalities by scans and by other diagnostic tests, it may be insignificant, but I don't know that now. Now, there are several studies that do show this virus can attack the blood vessels, the lungs, and damage the muscles in the heart, which could potentially lead to death further down the line. Meanwhile, here in California, the governor has just created a scientific safety review work group, and that group will review any vaccine that's been approved by the FDA before it is distributed here in California. As the governor says, we are going to lead with the science. Jake. All right, Nick Watt, thank you so much. Joining us now to discuss is the dean of Brown University School of Public Health, Dr. Ashish Jha. Uh, Dr. Jha, uh, let's just start with the crazy news from the campaign trail. Uh, President Trump attacking Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease expert, calling him a disaster, calling him an idiot who's been around for 500 years. Um, what's your response? Jake, first, thank you for having me on. Second, this is uh, very sort of disturbing, upsetting to hear the president say this. We're in the middle of the worst pandemic in a century, and Dr. Fauci is America's most respected infectious disease expert for good reason. He is the best there is. And to attack him personally uh, is uh, very unfortunate, and it is not going to help the country out. I mean, right now we're heading into a difficult fall and winter. Attacking your best experts is not what you want to be doing if you're president of the United States. No, it, he's undermining a leading healthcare voice who the American people, according to polls, overwhelmingly rely on and respect. Uh, and I don't doubt that there are going to be Trump supporters who changed their view on Fauci because of that, that could have dire health consequences. You know, absolutely. I mean, the, Dr. Fauci isn't just somebody that the public respects. All of us in the medical field uh, who study these things uh, look up to him as the best there is. And so undermining him and undermining his message uh, really makes it so much harder to control this virus, so much harder to control this pandemic. Uh, I think the president is doing a great disservice to Dr. Fauci, but really to the country. Clearly, we're in the middle of a surge. Uh, and how long do you think the case counts will continue to rise? 
Well, you know, we, we have some ways to go here. It will not naturally top off. It may go on for many weeks or even months if we don't get our act together. Uh, I do believe, and I, you know, I've heard Dr. Osterholm say the next six to 12 weeks will be among our darkest. It really depends on us. I think there are models of how to turn this around, uh, but we have to really take on, you know, sort of commit to doing those things. It won't happen naturally. The state of New Mexico reported a 101% increase in COVID hospitalizations this month and a record number of cases three days in a row. How do we get this back under control in these states that are just demolishing records? Yeah, basically what has been happening over the last six weeks, Jake, is since Labor Day, many of us have been sounding the alarm that we're starting to see cases go up uh, and states have been ignoring it and kind of hoping that it would sort of magically disappear. Well, guess what? It doesn't do that. And now we're getting into trouble. If you look at one state that has done a fabulous job since Labor Day, it's California. And what they have done is have had a very aggressive policy on increasing testing. They've gone after uh, counties where they've seen cases increases and done micro-targeted closures. And California case numbers are actually down since Labor Day, the only major state to do that. So it tells us we can do this, but it requires leadership and focus and getting out of a denial period moment that a lot of governors and, and mayors, not, not just the federal government, is engaged in. California just announced uh, that that government is going to review any FDA-approved coronavirus vaccine before it's distributed. Do you think other states will follow suit? And, and is this smart, uh, or is it just another roadblock to getting a vaccine into the bloodstream of Americans? You know, I, I believe uh, states have an important role in public health, but I actually don't support state-based reviews of the FDA. Uh, I do think that the scientific process of the FDA so far remains sound. Uh, the scientists are still there. And look, obviously, if the administration or somebody runs a political kind of, uh, you know, circles around the scientific process, then I will understand states stepping in. But at this point, I am hopeful that the safeguards are still there. And I don't think we need to have 50 additional reviews, one for each state. Uh, I think we should let the federal process work out. 40% of residents with coronavirus in nursing homes, which have been epicenters for COVID spread, were asymptomatic prior to testing, according to a, a new study in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA. What does that tell you about the importance of testing? Yeah, I mean, this is something that many of us have been saying since at least March or April, um, which is we need to have an aggressive approach to testing, aggressive approach to testing asymptomatic individuals, because while they spread it, uh, some of those people who then get it go on to develop severe complications and deaths. And the only way to stop this is by aggressive surveillance testing. Part of my frustration for why the administration has downplayed testing and hasn't built up the national infrastructure is it makes it much harder to protect people. Testing and contact tracing. They didn't even do contact tracing when they had their own super spreader event at the White House, the Rose Garden event. Chris Christie said nobody from the White House called him and they rejected the offer from the CDC to do contact tracing. Dr. Ashish Jha, thank you so much. Appreciate it. The state's giving President Trump the biggest advantage as he eyes a possible path to victory. Does he have one? He sure does. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead today, President Trump told his campaign staff that he feels he has never been in a stronger position than he is right now. And he claims he's confident he will be reelected. Now, polls suggest that Biden has a clear upper hand, both nationally and in individual battleground states. But 
in this environment and with the shadow of 2016, we know anything is possible. So what are any possible paths to a Trump victory? CNN's resident forecaster, Harry Enten, joins us now live to discuss. Harry, what are President Trump's options here? Right. So I think essentially there are two options when I'm looking at the polling data, right? The first option is essentially that he captures either one, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, or option two is that he carries both Nevada and New Hampshire. And keep in mind, in all of these different scenarios, we're assuming that Trump wins all the states he won by at least 1.2 points in 2016. But let's talk about option one first, right? Uh, Essentially, he just needs to win either Michigan, Pennsylvania, or Wisconsin, one of those states in yellow on your screen. But here's why that pathway could be difficult. Take a look at the polling in those states right now. What do we see? We see that former Vice President Joe Biden has a lead of seven to eight points in all those states, and Biden's at 50% or greater. Now, here's option number two. Option number two is either that he, is that he carries both Nevada and New Hampshire. And if he does that, uh, then even if he loses in the Rust Belt, Rust Belt battleground states, Trump still gets the 270 electoral votes. But again, here's the problem with that potential path. Look at the polling of both Nevada and New Hampshire. Again, you see former Vice President Joe Biden leads of at least seven points, and he's above 50 percent in both Nevada and New Hampshire at this point. And Harry, there are a few states that you're labeling as wild cards right now. Which state are those and why are they so important? Right. So essentially, uh, Arizona, Florida and North Carolina, right? In all the scenarios I just laid out, I gave them the President Trump. But here's what's important to point out. Former Vice President Joe Biden leads in all three of those states at this point by anywhere between three and four points. If former Vice President Joe Biden wins in any of those wild card states, the pathway to Trump really just goes adios amigos goodbye very, very quickly. All right, Harry Enten, thanks. And a reminder, of course, polling is not election results. If you're out there, whether you're voting for Trump or for Biden, be sure to vote. A Republican senator running for re-election in the once reliable red ta- re- reliably red state of Texas seems to think that his best chance for winning is to distance himself at least a bit from President Trump. In an interview with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Republican Senator John Corland- Cornyn described his relationship with the president as, quote, maybe like a lot of women who get married and think they're going to change their spouse and that doesn't usually work out very well, unquote. Senator Cornyn also claiming that he privately disagreed with President Trump on using defense money to build the border wall, despite publicly backing the president's decision for months. Joining us now to discuss this and the future of the Republican Party, longtime Republican strategist uh, Stuart Stevens. And Stuart, you're no supporter of President Trump. You've even joined the Lincoln Project, Republicans working to prevent President Trump's reelection. But to see a Republican incumbent in Texas try to distance himself from a sitting Republican president, I've never seen anything like that. Well, that's because it's never happened. Uh, this is kind of personal for me, Jake. I worked in uh, Senator Cornyn's first race for attorney general, his only race for attorney general, and then his first race for the Senate, which was really his only tough race. Um, the person I knew then was uh, very smart, self-reflective, um, kind. I, I kind of don't recognize this guy. I don't understand. It's like a lot of these people under Trump. I, I really don't know what happened to him. Um, what's most striking to me is... Well, two things, like you say, he's, he's in Texas and he's trying to walk away from Trump. But the other thing is he's saying that he gave, gave advice to Trump that Trump didn't take, which is sort of an odd argument for a U.S. senator to be making, like, <laughs> I'm ineffective with a <laughs> member of my own party as president. Um, it seems to me to be a lose-lose and maybe a lose-lose-lose when you throw in the reference to women. 
Um, it, it, this isn't a confident campaign. I think Senator Cornyn thinks he's got a tough race. He probably does. It looks that way. Um, and I think pretty much every Republican uh, is feeling this, you know, supposed floor of Trump start to creak and probably fall out. Yeah. And look, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, President Trump could very well be reelected. You know, the the polls don't suggest that, but we don't know what's going to happen two weeks and one day. But I just want to ask you, as a longtime Republican, watching a party that has historically had just great presidents, great politicians, uh, Eisenhower, Reagan, and, and seeing this party embrace conspiracy theorists like QAnon, seeing this party embrace uh, just wild allegations, insane allegations being made about Joe Biden and his family, ones that are we won't even touch. But what do you think when you look at the GOP? I mean, obviously, the guy that you worked for for the last presidential race that you, that you worked on, Mitt Romney, is trying to do what he can to stand against this tide of just lies and indecency. But it seems pretty alone where he's standing. Look, I, I think it's always difficult when you're in the middle of something to realize what's happening. But I don't think we've ever seen in American politics a complete collapse of a party as the way the Republican Party's collapsed. Um, it, if somebody held a gun to my head and said, tell me what it is to be a conservative and a Republican and American today, I, I'd just say, shoot me. I have no idea. Uh, there's no coherent theory of government and there's no moral center to it. Um, you know, in the Reagan era, we said that words could change the world. It would help bring down the Berlin Wall. Now we say about President Trump, well, they're just words. It doesn't mean anything. Um, I, the only thing I can compare it to is the collapse of communism in the Soviet Union, where what pe- the party said it was for and what it was for was just so disparate that it just collapsed. And that's what's happening to the Republican Party. It's just collapsing. And... It's depressing because there are a lot of us who are not members of any party who, who, who wants there to be who want there to be a, a, a thriving, smart Republican Party uh, out there. And I, I just don't even understand what politicians who know better who are Republican officials. Uh, l- let's just pick one at random. Marco Rubio of Florida, Senator Marco Rubio, at what they're thinking when they watch the party you know, base the president, you know, President Trump today is attacking Dr. Anthony Fauci. His goons are out there, you know, spreading lies and completely discredited sleazy stories that that nobody thinks are are accurate. I mean, what does the Senator Rubio think when he sees this? You'd have to ask him. I really don't understand it. I mean, what really breaks my heart is these politicians are the heir to the greatest generation. Encourage is standing up to some ridiculous figure like Donald Trump. Courage is getting out of the boat when the man in front of you just got shot. And that's their legacy. And, and that's what tens of thousands of people like my dad did. Um, and they just came back and they thought it was normal and built a life. And these politicians can't even stand up to Donald Trump. The, everything that they said in 2016, like Senator Rubio, they know it's about Donald Trump. They know it's true. And it's only gotten worse. I mean, I was pretty, I wrote a book that was pretty pessimistic about the Republican Party. It was all a lie. Finished it about a year ago. Turned out it was way over optimistic. I mean, I I never thought that we'd end up in a situation where there was no platform for the party. There's just an oath of loyalty. Um, It's extraordinary, and I don't see it going to change except by sheer fear. Trump has proven there's no line of principle uh, that 
pretty much he can cross that the Republican Party is going to rise up and disagree with. So they have, you know, I spent decades working in this party. And the only thing I can look at it now is say, burn it down. Just burn it down and start over. Um, and I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, same thing that happened to the Republican Party in California, which is now in third place. It may take longer than we think, but it's going to happen. Donald Stewart's Trump is going to lose. There is a chance yeah. he could win. There's a chance I could be drafted by the Eagles. It's not going to happen. Um, well, we might we might need you, we might need you on the O line, Stuart. Uh, just uh, uh, for the record, uh, for when it comes to the Eagles, Stuart. The book is called uh, "It Was All a Lie." Uh, it's a very heartfelt book about his time in politics and what's happened to the Republican Party. Thank you so much uh, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Coming up, how one Republican trying to hold her Senate seat is juggling a complicated relationship with President Trump. That's next. It's just the motorcycle. Back with our 2020 lead, Democrats think they may have a chance to pick up a Senate seat in Iowa, where Republican Senator Joni Ernst is locked in a tight battle with the Democratic challenger, as CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports. Senator Joni Ernst was already facing a tough re-election fight in Iowa. And then this. I don't think you answered my question. What's the break-even price for soybeans in Iowa? You grew up on a farm. You should know this. Uh, I think you had asked about corn, and I, it depends I, on. I asked her corn. It depends on what field. the inputs are, but probably about five fifty. Well, you're a couple dollars off, I think, here because it's ten oh five. So, well, we'll move on to something else. Then. An uncomfortable moment in the middle of Iowa's harvest and election season for a once rising Republican star elected in 2014 by playing up her farming roots in TV ads. I'm Joni Ernst and I approve this message because Washington's full of big spenders. Let's make them squeal. And in the GOP response to the State of the Union address, which she was selected to give during her first month on the job in 2015. As a young girl, I plowed the fields of our family farm. This year, a bigger challenge for Ernst could be headwinds from President Trump. He won by nine percentage points here in Iowa in 2016, but he's now locked in a tight race with Joe Biden. It is a tough, tough, tough year, but you know what? I'm going to finish first. Two weeks before the voting ends, Republican fortunes and their Senate majority are tied to the president. That's the real terror of this all is that Trump takes down the whole ticket, the whole Republican side of the Senate. We caught up with Ernst at a recent campaign motorcycle ride. Senator, is President Trump complicating your race? No, I would say I'm running my own race. But what about the suburbs? Does that complicate your path there? I, I think, again, in the suburbs, I've met with suburban women. They're really concerned about law and order, that, that type of issue. And that actually is an issue that draws them closer to the president. But that is unclear. Her Democratic opponent, Teresa Greenfield, believes issues like health care are more pressing. I will tell you, health care is number one. Certainly during COVID, that has elevated that conversation and uh, that uh, very difficult health pandemic coupled with the economic crisis. Um, you know, Iowans are concerned for sure. Greenfield is a real estate executive who also often talks about growing up on a family farm. And her farming facts came in handy during that debate last week. What's the break-even price for a bushel of corn in Iowa this week? <laughs> well, a bushel of corn's going for about 368 today, right. 369, and break-even really just depends on the amount of debt someone has. Jeff Zeleny, thanks. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. 
And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.